Myrna, how have you been? I've been good. I know you just moved this yeah. just a few just a few days ago to Joshua Tree, which was what, like an eight hour drive or something? Yeah, it was an eight hour drive. It it turned into quite a day because uh we had we had a lot of plants in our in our apartment. <laughs> and so we mm. were we spent the morning before we left gifting little plants to all of our close friends so that what? they would have something. <laughs> um and then we drove the eight hours down to Joshua Tree. Uh, in, in one go? In one go, yeah. Well, we stopped for gas, but... Oh, I see. Uh, yeah. Also, if you didn't know this about me, I'm a plant mom. So you next are? time you're giving plants away... <gasps> oh, man. Please yeah. think of your fellow podcast co-host because... I will. I'm a plant collector. That's I will. Idea. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah. Well, I'm super excited to get into it today. Uh, today we're talking to Madeline about... Uh, MVPs, and I'll let her explain what that is. And it's a super important thing to test out your idea after you've done ideating, uh, co-founder dating, like we've talked in the past two episodes. Um, and I've listened to her talk about prototyping and doing kind of the simplest tests with people to figure out if they want your product or not. Um, and I thought that her outlook on things and how inventive and creative she was was really amazing. And uh, I'm really excited to let Madeline introduce herself and talk to us today about her experience, um, what she's done so far, her company, Hello Walden, and um, everything MVP related and how she navigates that space. So uh, without any further ado, welcome Madeline. Hey ladies, thanks for having me here. Um, I'm also a plant mom, so very, very Amazing. much in that <laughs> camp. And if you have any plants that you ever uh, need a new home for, definitely bring them my way. Um, totally. So yeah, I'm, I'm Madeline. Uh, my background, I was an early software engineer at Square. Um, so I worked there back when it was, uh, when I started, there were around 100 employees. And when I left three and a half years later, uh, it was around 1,500 employees. So went through that sort of period of hyper growth, uh, working on a million different teams on, you know, varying like sizes and scales of things, everything from, you know, random hackathon ideas that we kind of just came up with and thought might be cool that turned into things like square cash. <laughs> so, uh, stuff like that. <laughs> and also, you know, just like very deep back end, like, uh, need to make sure that receipts and payments work. Um, and then after I worked at Square, uh, I kind of burnt out from working long, long, long hour days. Uh, some many, many days where I just like didn't even go home and just kind of slept under my desk. Uh, burnt out from that, moved uh, across the country to New York um, and started freelancing, doing some art, um, just sort of recovering. Um, and the biggest thing that I wanted to do was just kind of get a breadth of experience from different size teams um, and really just understand like what kinds of challenges were out there in the world. Um, so a few of the, the companies and teams that I worked with, one of them was with IDEO.org, um, which as you know, is like a big, they're, they're kind of known for their like ideation and prototyping uh, sort of history and background and approach to things. Um, so that was like a really cool experience uh, where we got to work on, um, we were developing, building tools for low income Americans to improve their financial health. And this was one of those times where I really got to dig deep into user research and 
Um, you know, going into people's homes and asking them, how do you spend money? Like, what tools do you use to keep track of your personal finances? Um, and really take it from the research phase all the way through prototyping and understanding, cool, how do we go through like rapid iteration of hearing something from somebody and then putting something in front of somebody else um, and doing the sort of like Wizard of Oz approach where you have somebody in a room and they're using something that you built five minutes before, but you have somebody like in another room, like pretending to be a chatbot, right? And That's just, amazing. Like, and <laughs> um, so that it was like a really uh, fun project. It definitely like when you work on something at that early stage, um, it's just such a different process. Like working at things at Square, like you have uh, millions of people who will use your product like the second you put it out there. Um, and that's just kind of built in. And with IDEO, it's like, you know, you're literally like building it for the person that you just talked to. Um, and you maybe get, you know, like a hundred people using it before it turns into something that um, you know, eventually is owned by a client or owned by whoever it's owned by. Um, but at that point, it's really just about like making sure that the quality of the thing that you're building is, has been validated and researched and thoroughly test, uh, tested. Um, so after I worked on that project with IDEO, um, I did another project with Facebook uh, where we were essentially launching um, a prototyping tool out to the public. And this was, this is a tool called Origami Studio. It's a tool that uh, designers use to kind of prototype, um, you know, what uh, iPhone apps could look like before they give it to engineers um, to start actually building. And it's actually pretty cool. It, it takes you pretty close to what the end like product would look like. You can take photos, you can use the camera, you can have it, you know, use the gyroscope and accelerator or whatever. Um, so, uh, it, it was a really interesting tool and the, my role on that team was basically like design program managers. So helping cat wrangle. And there was actually a lot of uh, <laughs> research that we had to do on that team as well. Um, just making sure that we could get the, the launch out on time um, and make sure that we had all the, you know, educational materials and research and um, just everything that needed to go into making this thing launch and be successful. Um, and then, yeah, moving, moving forward, um, I decided to take all of the, the knowledge and, and learnings and things that I had kind of all the different roles and hats that I'd worn um, over time and, and start something new. So this kind of really took everything from, you know, big scale companies to starting from nothing to uh, managing teams um, and put that all into starting my own startup. So uh, we've, we've done quite a bit with that. And this has been a very long intro, so I can kind of pass it off to you guys. Oh, we love it. <laughs> yeah. So the, there's a lot of like jargon that, that we end up talking about a lot. I think MVP is one of those. Uh, we're not talking about the most valuable player, although that's important too. Uh, so <laughs> could you kind of describe what, what MVP means in this context and, and how you would really define that? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so an MVP stands for minimum viable product. Um, and a lot of times what this means is uh, it's what's the smallest thing that you can get out to prove the thing that you're looking to prove. Um, so depending on what stage you're in, if you're in that early prototyping stage, a lot of times that doesn't actually mean that you have to build something like with code. Um, most of the times that means that uh, you could put something quickly together with um, you know, type form or Webflow or, 
you know, whatever, or even index card, something that's just like, what's the smallest piece of interaction that you need to do to be able to prove that this is the right experience to offer for the person on the other side? Um, once you kind of get into that next phase of like, you know, after prototyping, um, when you're thinking of building features and scoping things out that way, it also means scoping things down. So you take, um, you kind of think about like, what is the thing that we need to ship here? Uh, what all exactly needs to go into that? And then cut that, that, cut that down to like, okay, actually we only really need to do these three things instead of these 10 things um, to make this uh, experience, um, to, to prove this out. I see. Um, so sometimes when I'm thinking about building something, uh, and I, I'm sure everybody does this, but you think of like the end product, like, you know, in five, 10 years, my product is going to look like this. It's going to do X, Y, Z. It's going to be amazing. Um, and sometimes it's hard to, you know, strip it down to just the one or two elements that you really need to have to test out whether people actually want to use this. Um, and that kind of leads me to my next question, which is, uh, why is having that MVP important? Um, and why is it important to just get it down to that one to two features and test those rather than spending the time to build out this elaborate thing that maybe you have more confidence in people using? Yeah, that's a great question and something that I think a lot of, especially a lot of product people struggle with this. If you're um, like, if you're a product founder or if you are a solo founder and your background's in product, this is something that I personally struggle with like quite a bit. Um, but basically the reason why this is so important is because um, you need to be able to, to ship and iterate quickly to the people who are your users. And so um, by trimming it down to just what is important with your MVP, you are able to quickly get something out the door that you can put in front of somebody, get feedback on it, go back to the drawing board, fix it and repeat. Um, and that process is so, so, so important, especially at the very early stages uh, when you're in that customer development um, mode. And the reason for that is um, you could build something that is the most beautiful, complicated, you know, product that solves every single possible need and spend 12 months doing it. But at the end of the day, if nobody has tested it and you haven't actually validated that this is something that people want and that you know exactly what they're coming to your product to do, um, they're not going to use it. And you would have just wasted, you know, that much time and that much energy building something that nobody wants. Yeah. And that brings up a really good point because I think that Sometimes when we talk about MVPs, uh, there's always this kind of assumption that we're talking about software MVPs. And I know that to a lot of our listeners um, who are starting companies, they're not always going to be software companies. So something that we wanted to talk about in this conversation is um, what are maybe some of the differences between building a software and a non-software MVP? Um, and can you sometimes even test software MVPs using non-software prototypes? Or what are some of your thoughts on that? Yes, 100%. I love that question. Um, so a lot of times there's many different things that you might be testing out um, when you're at the very beginning stages of building something. Um, that could be a service, a product, um, a physical or digital product. It could be a piece of content. It could be a theory. It could be a sales um, 
like the way that you're selling something or a distribution model. It could be a marketing channel. Um, all of these are different things that you can test and use this sort of like MVP structure for. Um, and I think in, in actually most cases, even in product development, uh, you do want to do that without actually having to like build something first. Um, and that is because you, I sort of like take this approach of um, sort of like human-centered design. Um, and that's, you know, just kind of me personally, how I develop products. Um, but I find that this is usually the way that gets you um, to the, the closest to what the users actually need. So essentially, like, put yourself in uh, the shoes of a human. Like, why are they essentially like hiring your app to do this thing? Um, and what is the thing that they're coming here to get done? Right? So if you are building, um, so for example, there's like Uber, right? Um, this is like just one example of a company. Um, so the product is basically like somebody is hiring this company to, um, you know, call them a taxi and bring it to them so that they can get in this car and go somewhere. Right. Um, mm -hmm. the MVP is that right now Uber has like a million different products that they service, um, and, uh, a, a ton of different things that you could potentially, you could deliver food, you can ride a bike, you can order a scooter, you can rent a car. Um, there's a million different things that you can do through the app right now, but they all started with something that is, um, just the core human piece of why somebody needs to do something like this. Um, so you can absolutely start by, you know, even just role playing it out with somebody, right? So if you're testing out an onboarding flow, um, write down the questions that you need to know to get somebody to the next step. Like, what are the three things that you need to be able to sign somebody up for whatever your platform is? Um, if you're testing something that is service-based, um, can you get on a phone call with somebody and test out what that, um, what that service might be and what value what they're looking for when they start using it and what value they get after they finished using it. And then from there, you can kind of figure out like how to build the product around it. So when you're, you know, there's like this transition that occurs and I, I love the example of Uber because it's very easy to see. And I think a lot of people remember seeing them kind of like expand their product offerings, right? It started off where it was just Uber. You got a car and that was the end of your, your choices. And then it became that you could choose what type of vehicle. Um, and I think that that's like a really clean example of when they began to expand their, their product offerings. Um, but I'm curious, how, how does someone know that their MVP has been successful enough that they should start to take those next steps, right? That it's time to start adding in the additional features that they didn't include in the MVP. Um, I know it looks different for every company. So maybe it's like, what are good general principles to to approach figuring out what MVP success looks like? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think one way that you can do that is by basically just getting feedback from every single person who you put through this sort of like user test or user experience um, and ask them questions at the very beginning. Like, what do you, what do you need the most? Like, what are you struggling with? Like what, you know, if you had a magic wand, like how would this solve your problems? You know, just kind of ask them questions about where they're at in you know life what their demographics are um where they would look for something like this and how they think you can specifically solve their problem and then have them use the experience whether that's again like put together a string of post-it notes and like sketch out what an onboarding flow might look like and just talk through with them 
um, what their answers to the questions are. You don't need to save anything into a database if you're working with like 12 people. Um, so take them through that process. And then at the very end of that, ask them questions of, you know, how did that go? Was this what you expected? Like, do you feel like you got, um, you know, some value out of this? Would you use this again? Would you tell your friends? Um, how disappointed would you be if this didn't exist? Um, and so just kind of take them through those questions, uh, depending on, you know, you can kind of structure it based on what exactly you're doing and, and kind of feel that out. Um, there's a really great uh, blog post from the founder of Superhuman um, around how to find your product market fit. And they have some really great questions there about how to know if the thing that you're building is uh, taking off and is something worth investing in. And for me, that's kind of um, like you, you do inherently know it in your gut, but you do sometimes need to actually like test this out with um, metrics. And it does take quite a long time to sort of like build up that muscle of like understanding if something is working, if not, why. Um, and sometimes it is just a matter of like tweaking a small thing or a tiny thing here or there. Um, but sometimes you do need to like completely change the audience that you're targeting or, you know, the problem that you're solving. And so because of that, I mean, that kind of ties back into like why it's so important to, to do this before you actually build anything, um, because you might have to do, you know, either minor changes um, or potentially like large, large changes. Yeah, totally. This is uh, super helpful. I love some of the questions that you said founders should ask some, themselves after testing out an MVP. And I guess the um, you, you kind of just hinted at this just a second ago, which is uh, when things don't go right, you know, when you build an MVP and you don't get kind of the results that you want to get, um, when when do you know if it's time to pivot or if it's time to just uh, – I think you mentioned one thing you could do differently is maybe test it out with a different audience. Uh, but what are some other things you think of when your MVP doesn't go as planned? Um, and, and when do you decide, you know, this is maybe not not the right product to build at all? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, usually I think of pivots like um, – have you exhausted everything that you could possibly do to test out why this, you know, to test out if this works with the, the audience that you're looking at right now? Um, and when you kind of get to that point and you've exhausted every possible pivot, every possible audience, every possible, you know, way of putting together the product and you're out of ideas, you're out of steam, you're out of energy, um, maybe table it for a little bit. And if you come back to it, um, you know, after a couple hours, days, weeks, months, whatever, um, and you find that, you know, really, I did everything I possibly could, and there's just nothing left to do. Um, that's when it's time to, you know, really consider, like, do I want to shut this down or not? Um, a lot of times you don't even get the luxury to make that decision because you'll run out of cash before you have to do that. Um, and that's just kind of the, the nature of like startup funding, but, um, you know, really just exhaust all of your options, like, you know, push on it, go talk to more people. If you're ever stuck with something, like the number one thing that I tell people is just go talk to somebody, put it in front of somebody, get their thoughts, get their opinions, ask them, who do they think this is for? Um, what are the strengths of this product? What else do they, um, what else do they see that's out there that might be solving a similar problem? Why is this different? Why is this better? Why is this worse? Um, by just putting things in front of other people and asking those questions, 
you'll start to get more clarity around what are some of the other things that you might be able to test or different ways to position it or different features you might add that would sort of unlock, um, you know, making this better for your end user. And the other thing is like, if it's really not working, um, take a good look at your team. Are you the right team to be able to, to put this product into market? Um, do you have the right people for building it, for marketing it, for um, doing the operations? And that's a huge, um, a huge component of this as well. So one of the things you said uh, made, made me wonder about something. So, you know, talking to family and friends and, and some of us are really lucky and have family and friends that are very supportive of what we're trying to do. But there's like this very unfortunate reality that for a lot of people, when they decide to start something, um, their friends and family think they're crazy, or maybe they are upset or disappointed because they had gotten really used to this idea of this person in a certain career or in a certain role. Um, so what are, what are some resources where people can try to get feedback uh, if maybe their friends and family aren't the best source of, of collaborative help at this time? Yeah, that's a really, really, really good question. Um, so first, um, for everybody out there who does struggle with that problem where, um, you know, maybe your family doesn't understand or they've never, you know, they don't understand what entrepreneurship means or starting a business or testing something out or like taking a couple months of not making money to potentially go make something really cool. Um, first, like I would just have a really clear discussion with your family on like, what are your goals and what are you looking to um, to put into this and what are you looking to get out of this and how can they best support you? Um, whether that's like, okay, cool, your feedback's not helpful, but like, I just need your emotional support. Um, having those conversations early and often with your family, friends, and people who are close to you is extremely important. And especially if you're starting a new company or product, um, it it helps so much with your mental sanity to have your support group around you. So I definitely strongly, strongly encourage you to have those conversations with your family. And even if they don't fully understand, um, find a way that you can all sort of accept uh, that this is what you're doing and that's fine. And if there is a moment when you need to change courses, um, you know, you can, you can have that discussion as well. Um, the second is uh, find opportunities to connect with other founders. This is maybe one of um, the, you know, aside from having the support from your friends, family, and loved ones, um, connecting with founders is right up there with like one of the most important things that you can do. Um, they are the people who know just how crazy you are because they're just as crazy. Um, <laughs> so find any opportunity to go connect with other founders, whether that's, you know, if you meet somebody, just set up weekly or biweekly one-on-ones with them. Um, if there's a community or an accelerator that you can join, um, you know, join it. It's a great experience. Um, if there are, um, you know, like clubs or extracurricular, like groups of people who sort of, you know, collect around these things, if there's online forums, if there's, you know, a group that you can meet with once a week or once a month, um, find those opportunities um, and really like cherish and treasure those relationships. Like don't try to solve each other's problems, but just sort of like listen because chances are like you're all going to experience the same sort of subset of problems at, at any given time throughout the course of your 
um, you know, starting something. Um, so it's just really important to, to surround yourself with those people who are in, in the same boat as you. I love that so much. That was very uplifting. I feel like I'm ready to go meet, you know, 10 more founders and make those connections. Yes, uh, do it. You can never yeah. have too many founders <laughs> in your network. I literally have like one-on-ones like, you know, every week with probably like three to five founders who we just meet regularly. And that's just what it is. Um, you can never have too many of these people in your life. So just keep keep surrounding yourself. These are your peers. This will make you feel much less lonely. 100%. Yeah, I, I definitely just want to double down on that. Like, scheduling standing conversations with people who who just like really know what you're feeling and going through is infinitely valuable couldn't agree more um but one thing I really wanted to talk to you about Madeline is your startup now hello Walden so tell us a little bit more about what that is for our listeners and anyone who doesn't know um and how you know it's come about to be what it is today yeah definitely so when I started Walden, um, I, I didn't realize that it would take this long to do uh, research and, and early prototyping and user testing, but I'm so glad that I took that time. Um, so when I started it, the, the core premise that I set out to do was um, essentially how can I help more creators and entrepreneurs start businesses and ship cool projects that they just really want to do. Um, one of the things that I've sort of noticed, uh, like I've worked on a million different cool projects, but I have all these like fun things I've wanted to do on the side or little businesses that I've started up. Um, and just these things that I just want to do because, you know, I'm a creative individual and I want to put things out into the world. Um, but I have a million excuses, right? It's like, Oh, I have to work. I have a client project. I have a deadline. I have to like make money. I like cannot, you know, spend time doing this. Um, but these are projects that like, you just have to do it. <laughs> You're a person, mm-hmm. put it out there. Um, yes. And so many of my friends have projects that are the same. You know, you talk about it for years, um, but, you, but you never do anything about it. Um, so I really wanted to just help people like take that first step and be less afraid um, to take a risk and, and start something on their own. Um, so when I, I started off by doing research, obviously, I think the first thing to um, figuring out what you need to build is just to talk to people. Um, it, I don't think it has ever been the case in human history where somebody has kind of sat in a cave in a dark room and come up with something that's been, you know, wildly successful. Um, yeah. Maybe with the exception of Bitcoin, I have no idea how that. <laughs> that is a good exception. Yes, <laughs> but other than that. Um, yeah, you really have to talk to people. Um, and so the first thing that I did was I just talked to a hundred of my friends and was like, Hey guys, um, you know, you have all these cool things. Like what's like, are you doing them? Why or why not? And what's helped you and what do you wish you had? Um, and so the biggest things that I learned from that was, uh, every single person has a project like this. Every single person has an idea, something that they've just kind of been sitting on, they're excited about, um, and have or haven't worked on for whatever reason. Um, and what I noticed was the people who had been somewhat successful and were basically following this path of like, you know, self-fulfillment and doing the thing that they need to do in this world all had one thing in common. And that was that they had some sort of like mentor, accountability buddy, coach, um, somebody who had been there before they had domain expertise, um, And they were able to kind of guide them through this process of like, 
hey, like, what, what is it that you want to do? Like, let's take the time to actually invest in doing that and plan it out. Um, and that was kind of on the success stories side of things. On the opposite side, the people who are still struggling, um, the things that I heard from them was, uh, you know, I wish I had a person. <laughs> I wish I had an accountability buddy. I wish I had a mentor. And I, I want that person to have domain expertise. I want them to check in with me on a daily or weekly basis. I want to have that ongoing accountability. Um, and I wish this was easier and cheaper for me to access. And so I kind of took all those learnings and was like, cool, I could probably do something about this. Um, and in, in the meantime, I did a handful of like very large and small pilot programs. My sort of initial impetus was like, can I help people take sabbaticals? And that sort of like changed wildly. I love that story. uh, Yeah. Yeah. It changed wildly over the course of time. Um, Sabbaticals were things that I had taken one previously and it had helped me so much just like understanding and trusting my own creative process. Um, But also I wish I had a coach when I was going through that. I didn't know what a coach was at the time. Um, And so with sort of starting off with the premise of sabbaticals, uh, like these were kinds of kind of where these questions were coming from. Um, we've shifted away from sabbaticals for a thousand different reasons. One, I didn't really want to start a travel company. Um, I'm very glad I didn't do that. Um, (laughs) in hindsight, um, and I didn't want to deal with logistics, but I think the important thing was that projects were, uh, sort of the core underlying theme, um, from everybody that I had talked to. They didn't really care about the time or location or place. Um, so we really started sprinting forward with that. And of our many, many different prototypes and pilot tests, um, the one that we kind of kept coming back to was, uh, we had built this sort of chat experience where there was somebody on the other side who was kind of acting as your coach or accountability buddy, um, who would check in with you. They would just text you every single day and say like, Hey, like, how's it going? How are you feeling about this thing? Like, have you made progress against your goals? Um, and really just kind of setting up and structuring this as like, imagine you had a PM for your personal projects, right? Like how amazing would that be? Um, so we set it up with that premise and I took it through a couple different processes of, can I test this with people that I know and love and not charge anything, but just kind of test it out to see if the concept works. So we tested that out with 40 different friends and they were like, wow, cool. Like, this is like really fun. Um, and they had varying degrees of success. You know, we had some people who were like, wow, this like changed my life. And I was actually able to make significant progress, like writing my book um, or getting started with this art project or developing a new habit. Um, and we had some people who were like, I don't know, I just felt guilty because I wasn't doing it. Um, mm-hmm. So we just learned a lot through that process. Um, and then the next big piece of it was like, can I help people? Can, can I sell this to strangers? Um, and kind of took that through a process of, um, you know, taking out some Facebook ads and mm-hmm. uh, just trying to see if I could get people on the phone and selling it. Um, and through that process, I've found out that I was able to sell things which cool like Girl Scouts me would be so proud Um, (laughs) you're worth selling cookies (laughs) exactly exactly um I like definitely say that all the time every time I have to go into sales mode I'm like all right putting on my brownie badge again like here we go amazing um the first few people that you were piloting or, or starting this with were they friends that you were just texting and 
um, connecting with a coach or just connecting with yourself. And then you were like, okay, let me see if I can sell this to other people that are outside my network. Yeah. So the first, the very, very, very first prototype we did, um, I had a friend who she's, she's incredible. She was also a design program manager and she's the kind of person who, when you have a project, you go to her and she will help you do it and just be like this relentlessly positive cheerleader. Like, wow, that is so cool. And her whole face. I love people like that. So contagious. Um, So, you know, somehow I convinced her to be the voice on the other side of this thing and chat with 40 of my friends all day. Um, and so really we, we scoped it to like a two week beta program and there was sort of a one week ramp up and a one week ramp down, um, on our end to kind of figure out the nuts and bolts. Um, so we, we scoped it to two weeks where we were running this pilot. Um, and at first it was just her as the coach. Um, and we, we weren't really calling it a coach at the time. We were calling it, I think a producer. Cause again, I had never heard of the word coach and didn't really know what it meant. Um, but the second one where we were selling it to strangers, um, I wound up being the initial first coach for that. Um, mm-hmm. and we wound up using coach just because through some of our testing, um, we had this whole naming thing. We're like, what do we call this? Like in my head, I was like, this is obviously a producer, but people were like, you're going to turn me into like a social media influencer. Like, am I going to uh... be a music star? Like, can you help me produce my That's film? So and I'm like, I actually don't know how to do that. So I think I need to pick a different word. Um, Mm -hmm. And finally, one day in all this testing, somebody was just like, you're a coach. Like, just that is what it is. Like, just deal Mm -hmm. with it. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. That's Um, a thing. Yeah, Hmm. exactly. Like, those are the kinds of things that you learn through research and through talking to people. Um, Like, you have to put it in front of so many people so you understand, like, why you're making the decisions that you're making. One of the things that, because I mean, yeah, the, the core of MVP decision-making and development is the user research, right? Yeah. I mean, that's, you have to have that piece to do anything. Yeah. One of the things that I think creates kind of an interesting challenge is, and I wonder if you've experienced this through the different iterations that you've pushed through, but that oftentimes people have trouble giving feedback on something that they've never imagined or conceived of before, right? So like the more the more different your solution is from what currently exists, it seems to me the harder it is to design sensible user research that really like gets high quality information from people without having to like guide them towards it, right? Because you, you generally want to get information from the person and then say, does my how does that change the user research design process and uh, execution process so that you can still build the right MVP? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, this kind of gets into the difference between like, innovation and uh, improving upon something that already exists. And I think this is something that's actually a very, very important distinction for you to make as a founder or as somebody who's starting something new. Um, I forget what we had like a breakout session at one point with um, the founder of Kiss Metrics. And he basically said, there's two types of entrepreneurs. There's the the explorer and the pirate. (laughs) And the explorer (laughs) is the one who... Um, goes off and does innovation and the pirate is the one who's improving upon existing things. Um, And the two are just, it's just different in the way that you approach things, right? And it's different in the way that you pick and and solve your problems. Um, So with innovation, uh, it's so hard because people, you're literally inventing something that nobody's ever seen or heard of before. Um, And it, you're not necessarily going to be 
you may be first to market, but you may not necessarily be the the one who you know takes it all the way to home run, right? Um, mm-hmm. We've seen this a million times in you know just products and and things throughout the ages, right? Like you've got there were so many ride sharing companies before Uber came around, right? But they were the ones who were able to sort of like you know pirate it, improve upon existing things, and like take it home, right? So this is just something that like it's good to be aware of as as an entrepreneur and as a founder and as a creative. Um, if you go the innovation route, um, your user research is very different. Like you have to be the kind of person who understands like the subtlety of how somebody responds to something. And this is something you should generally just like practice these skills anyways. Like it will make you a much better, um, I don't know, like creative researcher, like entrepreneur, whatever it is. Um, if you can really get good at understanding the, the subtleties and how people are saying something. Right. Um, and that's really just like, how do you ask the right questions? How do you understand if something was actually successful? Like, how do you know when something brought delight or, you know, has really like changed the way that this person is going to behave in the future? Um, and you kind of just have to figure it out by trying things. And I think the most important thing for that is like, it's really hard to describe stuff. Like you have to put things in front of people and like the role of prototyping is so important in that um, because unless they can really see it and play with it and use it, like you're not going to be able to describe to them what, you know, like a hoverboard of the future feels like or how they're going to use it <laughs> because like they just mm-hmm. have no idea what that feels like. And a quick hat tip to hit and Shaw for pirates and explorers. Yes, totally. Such a great talk. Yeah, that was one of my favorites too. Um, Speaking of Walden, so how did you kind of, so you said you had to start off with some friends and, um, you know, having your your, um, design manager kind of be on the other end of that. And then you started reaching out to strangers and selling things. Um, Could you talk us a little bit about how you started doing that and how you started reaching out to random people? Um, I know you have like a lot of really cool tips and tricks on how to, how to do that. Yeah, definitely. So the very first thing that I did, um, after, after we went through the pilot where I was just testing with friends, um, the very first thing we did, uh, you know, I sort of kept it, um, my intention was to see if I could prove that I could sell this to other people. So I didn't initially go out and try to resell this to the friends who we had tested with. Um, and that was primarily just so that I could prove or disprove the hypothesis that this works on strangers. Um, and so the biggest thing for me, I've used various tools before. Um, there's one called userinterviews.com, which is so amazing. Um, if you've ever had to go through the process of, you know, posting, uh, listings on Craigslist and doing type forms and, Um, you know, just like getting people in an office for an interview or setting up phone calls and giving them 20 bucks for their time. Um, It's a huge arduous process. Like that's something we had to do a lot at IDEO. Um, But userinterviews.com kind of just like uh, sets up an entire day of user interviews for you. Um, And if you have a little bit of money, um, that's an amazing way to spend it. Uh, you usually incentivize people with gift cards or something like that. Um, but especially if you have like a very specific target that you're looking for, like I want to find people who work in this type of role and hit these demographic, you know, milestones, or I want to target, you know, whatever it is, like it's very good for targeting in that way. Um, and really just like takes care of all the scheduling for you. 
Um, another tool that I used was Facebook ads. Um, I wouldn't necessarily recommend this for everybody, especially if you are working on a budget um, and bootstrapping, mostly because it does take a little bit of time to understand how to uh, set up a Facebook ad and how to um, get results from it pretty quickly. Um, but the important things that I did with this was essentially um, convert the campaign to setting up a phone call with me. So it was like, you know, I, I basically just wanted to test out um, audiences, message, and whether people responded more to illustrations, photos, uh, and what type of, um, yeah, what type of word they wanted to use. So this was kind of where we were testing out the coach, producer, guide, uh, project manager, like that type of language. Um, mm -hmm. So we set up 12 different experiments with that. And basically, I got... I can't remember the numbers off the top of my head, but we probably had, you know, 30,000 views, a thousand clicks, 40 uh, phone calls scheduled, and maybe 15 to 20 people who actually answered when I called them. Um, and That's from awesome. there, yeah, from there we got one or two paying customers, um, which was pretty cool. And with this, I decided not to use the, the prototype app that we had built before. I was purely testing, you know, like, can I get them to pay for something with a product I don't even have and just test it out with like uh, text messaging and Google docs and just see if they'll trust me to mm -hmm. do this. Um, and they did. And it was weird and crazy and exciting and definitely weird, but um, <laughs> I learned a lot. I, I remember about, you saying you had your first um, like paying customer over the phone or something like that, or they had agreed before you even showed them a product, which I think was yeah. really exciting. Yeah, it was, it was nuts. I mean, it was really just like an on the fly, like, uh, can I just, can I really quickly listen to the problem that they're having, uh, propose a solution, agree on a price and get them to put in their credit card over that first phone call. And it is, <laughs> if you can do that, you're going to be fine. It doesn't even matter what you're selling. Um, so that was really the like what I was working towards and was able to hit that goal. Um, and that's a really cool feeling. I, my, my boyfriend was kind of looking in the sidelines, like how the heck did you just do that? <laughs> um, so, uh, it, yeah, it was a pretty cool experience. And basically like I worked with that person for like a week to try to figure out like how to, you know, just kind of guide them and, and move them along through this process. So after we had that first phone call, I basically locked myself in a room for two weeks and like built out the tool, uh, like built out the onboarding flow and like a very, very bare bones uh, version of the tool and was able to start uh, taking in signups for people. And that's kind of when I went back to um, the initial group of friends that I had and uh, started blasting it out to strangers who I didn't know as well to just kind of help me test the wheels. And that was the start of Hello Walden. That was the start of Hello Walden. Yep. Awesome. So can you tell our listeners how to reach you if they're looking for an incredible coach? Um, we still have our community up and running. So if you're looking for a coach, go to hellowalden.com. And if you are looking for coaching uh, group practice management, go to waldenapp.com. Amazing. Sounds awesome. like a really great place to end. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so yeah. much. That was amazing, Madeline. 
this is really, really great. And I think we'll give a lot of people who, um, you know, are, are starting out in their, in their journey, a lot of really good advice and really good places to start. Yeah. Thank you, ladies.